G'day you mob, welcome to this episode of The Goss. This is the ninth instalment of The Goss and today is a ripper of an episode guys. We talk about Julian Assange, we talk about baboons on the loose in Sydney. Somehow they got out of their enclosures and were running through the streets. I shit you not. (laughs) There's actually footage of that online. We talk about the train derailment uh, from Sydney to Melbourne. And we also chat about the only ever colour footage found of Don Bradman. I wonder if you know who that sporting legend is in Australia. And lastly, we talk about the tragic murder of Hannah Baxter and her children in Queensland by her ex-husband. So, there was a tragic domestic violence case that occurred in the last week. We chat about that and give our two cents on domestic violence in Australia. Anyway, this episode is jam-packed full of different stories. The whole point is for us to talk about as many different topics as possible that have come up in the news that are interesting to help you guys develop your opinions and learn about what's going on down under. Don't forget, guys, if you want the full episode for this episode of The Goss, sign up to the Premium Podcast Membership or the Academy Membership at aussieenglish.com.au and I'll see you there. Anyway, smack the kookaburra and let's get into it. Started, Dad Goss, the Goss, Goss episode number nine. Jeez, number nine. <laughs> I thought we get got to three were impressive, but uh, I know we've been smashing through them. Do we start with um, sad or do we start with upbeat? Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, let's go upbeat. <laughs> we right. might never get to the sad. So we've got um, baboons running through the streets of Sydney. Yeah, you obviously what a looked ripper. into that. Well, story. through the car park at the hospital. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Reminds me of my days at the zoo, and I'm sure we'll get onto some stories of yeah, that in a minute. But, I'll get um, into that. So, yeah, they had um, one male and two female baboons that escaped from Sydney's Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. Apparently, they were taken there on a or in a truck mm. for a vasectomy operation or something. Yeah, I, and the I females assume- were only there to keep the male company. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. assume the male wasn't carrying out the operation on someone else. I yeah, <laughs> you would think that he would be the recipient. <laughs> so, the females were there literally to keep him calm. Yeah, yeah just to calm him down. No, no, they actually brought... <laughs> them just to calm him down. So. Uh, sad that doesn't happen for humans, and, I imagine. No, and they um, <laughs> apparently, well, according to what I read this morning, they um, they think the the lock was dodgy, and so they picked the lock and got out. Yeah, I reckon it was probably broken, and they just pulled it off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe. Who knows? But they they are seriously smart, and. Uh, yeah, I said I used to work at the zoo in the education service a long time ago and the stories of um, primates escaping from enclosures were sort of legendary at the zoo. Well, that's why I thought we should bring it up because I remember hearing those stories when I was probably, what, nine years or younger, maybe around that, that age. Well, I, was, I was working there when you were about three or four. Yeah. yeah. So, tell us what happened. What exactly... Oh, um, look, there's lots of stories, but my favourite one is... Uh, I was in uh, one of the curator's offices um, one day just having a chat and somebody, um, sort of one of the junior keepers, came rushing up and banging on the door and interrupted us and, you know, all very apologetic, but just said, there's a monkey escaped. 
And the curator looked at him and said, what? And he said, there's a monkey escaped. You know, quick, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he says, just sit down, have a cup of coffee, calm down. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is, you know, it's good human resource management. He's dealing with this person really well, but what are we going to do about the monkey? And, uh, and the what kind was, of monkey was it? Um, oh, I can't remember. It was one of the small ones. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a baboon. Because uh, those ones I'd be more worried about, baboons or worse, apes. Because they oh, can yeah. do physical damage, yeah. especially baboons, baboons could probably kill you. With yeah. their, oh, especially yeah. the males with those huge, huge canines. canines. Yeah, but uh, capuchin monkey. Yeah, it was it was a capuchin or something <laughs> like that. I can't remember the details now. But uh, and yeah, you know, I thought, oh yeah, he's yeah dealing with this quite well. You know, he's he's he settled this guy down. The guy just he is all antsy. He just said, look, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he says, we're just going to sit and wait. Mm. He said, what are you going to talk about? And within two minutes. The phone rang at his office and he picked up the phone and said, uh, yep, it's in North Melbourne. Here's the address. Go and get it. <laughs> Somebody had rung it because yeah. they find a monkey. Where are they going to ring? They're going to yeah. ring the zoo. <laughs> and it had gone all the way across Royal Park into North Melbourne within 15 minutes. So, obviously, Imagine it's escaped, that. jumped the fence and gone. Yeah. But- I'm free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was up a tree in somebody's backyard. Well, and that's it. You'd imagine, too, at least with... Things like monkeys and apes, they're going to climb a tree. They're not just going to really hang around on the ground. You would imagine mm. they're going to go to safety. And yeah, so, they're no, going to get up exactly. a tree, feel safe, probably find yeah. something to eat it, and it chill out. Across Flemington Road, yeah, which is <laughs> yeah, what, eight lanes, seven lanes or something, including yeah. trams. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, crazy. Oh, I always imagine what it must be like when you have those situations arise with animals that are clearly not native to the area, let alone, mm. um, you know, they even seeing a kangaroo in the city in Melbourne would be a weird sight that it would probably get yes. on the news. But especially with things like big cats that, that escape, especially in America where there are thousands of, you know, tigers and lions yeah, in people's backyards People, people as get pets. them as pets. It's uh, <laughs> bizarre. But. Well, there was a tragic story, wasn't there, in the US of a, um, a man who committed suicide uh, and decided to let out 60 of his pet big cats. <laughs> Into the, uh, I can't remember which state it was, but I can't remember. he let them out into the town yeah, that was and there, just wandering the streets, and had to kill them all because yeah. they didn't have time to tranquilize sixty of them. So that, and then at the end, you see this picture of all of these animals that looked like someone had gone on a hunting frenzy yeah. with tigers, Bengal tigers, all these endangered animals, and mm. you're just like tragic. No, but yeah, imagine crazy. imagine driving around at night and just seeing that these tigers wandering around <laughs> down the street. Crap yourself! You'd be like, am I on drugs? I what know. This? But you had a few good stories, didn't you, about the otters at the zoo as well? Oh. Right. Yeah, yeah, the otters when um, they were in it, they're not in the same enclosure now, but um, they were in um, an enclosure next to the seal pond and uh, or the seal enclosure and the same keepers used to look after them and every morning uh, before the zoo had opened, the keepers would go and do their rounds and there'd be these little muddy footprints, otter footprints outside the enclosure. And these were small these otters, were small right? Otters. These were little river otters from yeah, Asia? Yeah, yes. Yeah, they're oriental um, small-clawed otters. They're yeah. you know, very small. But really cute when really, you Really, oh, seriously cute. In a group yeah, and they do yeah, all the like- Chirping to each other at, yeah, <laughs> and standing up on their back legs and carrying on. Yeah, so that every morning they'd see these muddy footprints on the outside and they could not work out where these animals were getting out. But yeah. clearly they get out, have a romp around the zoo and then get back in again before the morning because uh, they get fed mm. in the morning. So mm. they knew that they were going to be fed. So they, they'd be back in there. And there was never the wrong number there. They were always there, but uh, they were clearly getting out and nobody could work out why. So they moved them to another enclosure. <laughs> What, what, where were they going? Don't like, know. Did they trace the footprints? No, you just saw no. Them well, the you know, muddy stuff just wore off after yeah. a while. But yeah. Do you wonder if they're going to go, you know, give the, the bird to the lions or something? Yeah. 
give, give the finger <laughs> exactly. to the lions yeah. or, you know, look, look who got out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, sort of weird animal. So. Yeah, what was it like working at the zoo? It was great fun. It was really good. I mean, I was a teacher there, so we yeah. were taking classes every day with, you know, school groups coming in, uh, which is good fun uh, because... Teaching a, a class on you know, ecology or animal biology or something in a normal school classroom is all very well, but it makes a big difference when you can you, know, you can bring out a possum and have the kids handling the possum or a snake or a lizard or a wombat or whatever. So that, that sort of made it real for kids. And yeah, uh, the for looks sure. on their faces when they get to you know, pat a wombat um, or to you know, see a snake right close up and those sort of things or handle a snake. I don't remember ever going to the zoo and being in a class where any of the children were disappointed yeah. with going to the zoo as, exactly. a, as an excursion. Yeah. And that's that was the approach that we took as teachers there is that this is the once-in-a-lifetime experience that, you know, these kids may be only going to come there once in their life. And so but it's that moment too that matters, right, when they're young. You have to make, it, right? you have to make that moment for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah far out. Um, what else was I going to say? What do you think of the ethics of it? So, I guess coming back to the baboons, coming back to the baboons. running through yeah. um, the streets, but also zoos. What do you think of the ethics of, first, I guess, having animals in zoos, mm-hmm. especially, um, well, they're all, most of them are going to be sentient animals, but incredibly intelligent animals mm. like baboons, monkeys, even gorillas, because that's the one thing that gets me whenever I go to the zoos. I kind of don't want to go and see the big apes because it just makes me depressed to see quite often a large silverback gorilla just sitting there looking like he wants to hang himself. Uh, Or the orangutans with all the kids bashing on the glass and they're just like, yeah, yeah. another day of this shit. Yeah. (laughs) Look, there are some elements of that. And certainly, yeah, when I was a child growing up, Zoos were there for human entertainment. Yeah. And so there were, it was really how many different species of animals could you put into the, into the zoo? So they were in, animals were in small enclosures. Uh, they weren't environmentally enhanced. They weren't particularly enhanced for the animals to entertain themselves. Um, it was really just a, you know, a few concrete cages with bars to, you know, show off as many animals as you could. That's changed. Zoos, modern zoos these days are, are much more about, representing the animals in as close to their natural habitat as you can. Um, and so, yeah, we can be anthropomorphic about, you know, saying yeah. watching gorillas and things, but gorillas in the wild are going to spend 90% of their time sitting around doing nothing, uh, sleeping or sitting around. The other 10%, they'll be out foraging, but they're yeah. rainforest animals So, and they're vegetarian. They don't have to travel far to find food. <laughs> yeah, It's not like they're out hunting uh, to, to get things. So... Um, I think we're now seeing animals in zoos in, you know, it's never going to be exactly the same. They are still in captivity. The the really intelligent ones like apes and monkeys and so on, they know they're in captivity. Uh, but they're also in an environment now that is as close to natural as possible. Um, the next question comes as to what's the purpose of zoos and... Zoos now are much more around conservation than they are around public entertainment. Now, clearly, when did that change come through? Look, I think it, it it's always sort of been there um, because zoos were always about breeding animals. Um, but they were originally private they originally, enterprises. They were originally right? private enterprises for you know for commercial purposes for entertainment. You know, you pay people pay money to come in and see them. Um, there used to be things like you know elephant rides and those sort of things in zoos, and they've fortunately disappeared yeah um that 
Yeah, and you can argue that you know, animals like uh, particularly Asian elephants, which are almost all of the world's zoos' populations are Asian elephants. There are a few African elephants in, in zoos, but not many. Uh, and most of those Asian elephants have come from and been bred by elephants who are working animals. Yep. And so yeah, taking people on walks around the zoo on an elephant is probably actually okay for the elephant most of the time uh, because that's what they expect to do. It's entertaining. It gives them something to do. I'd be shitting myself if they put me on an elephant that wasn't used to that. Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I feel but, like a deal breaker. <laughs> but the message behind that is that the animals are there for human entertainment. Yeah. And so I think that's why those sort of things have stopped. Uh, and you don't need that to be entertained, I think. I think most people, too, are like... You don't have to sit on the elephant to be able to appreciate the elephant. Yeah, yeah. You don't and have to be able to touch it to really appreciate it. And right? you look at the elephant enclosure at Melbourne Zoo now, it's huge. Yeah. And there are places in that enclosure that can't be seen from any of the viewing areas. Yeah. So, if the elephants decide they don't want to be interacting with humans, it's their choice now. They can get out of the way. Yeah. Uh, they're not sort of stuck in this small concrete block that just says you're going to be there and have people throwing peanuts at them. And, of course, now you can't feed animals in zoos. Yeah. That used to be a thing even when I was a child that they would sell you know food for you to throw at the animals yeah. unless unless you so. go to the uh, edge of the the tiger or lion's uh, cage and jump in right well yeah yeah well, that's a different <laughs> version of feeding them man uh, <clears throat> sorry to interrupt no, no i just remembered your story about i think it was the duckling or the signet oh no, get the baby no, swan. duckling you gotta yeah. tell that one that story about the uh, zoo uh, and yeah. <laughs> it was apologies hilarious. to the zookeepers if you're still around and I won't I won't name the person. They're not he, learning English. He's actually time. quite famous now and I won't, so I won't name the person that was involved with this. Um, <coughs> I'm laughing because I but, know the story. Yeah, exactly. So there was one of the things we used to do as the uh, in the education service at the zoo was every morning or at least two or three times in the week we would get there early. Uh, before the zoo had opened and we would go around and walk around to one or two of the areas and talk to the keepers because it was always good to have stories about, you know, what was coming up, you know, were there new babies born or was a particular animal undergoing some form of treatment? And so you'd have stories to tell the kids when they came into the classes. And we're in the, uh, we went in the, bears we went to the bear, the back of the bear enclosures um to talk to the keepers there and we then went around the front to watch the bears come out and one of the um, education staff who was with me noticed there was a duckling swimming around in the bears pond <laughs> so she ran back and said look don't let the bears out because there's a duckling there and we're frightened the bear will get the duckling <laughs> and the keepers in, indulged <laughs> us and spent 10 minutes with a net uh, chasing this duckling around in a pond. And if you've ever tried to catch a duckling, they can swim really quickly. Mm. Um, and but, probably duck dive. And, yeah, exactly. And, but really eventually well. they got it and they, uh, <laughs> they took it out of the enclosure and walked over. And there's a big pond in the zoo then. Uh, it's still there, but it was just directly opposite the bear enclosure, uh, which it had you know, ducks and swans and, and so Free on. Living ones, Free right? living ones. Free living ones, yeah. And so um, he released the, uh, the duckling into the lake and within 20 seconds, a uh, mute swan, the big white ones from Europe, um, just swam over and pecked the thing and drowned it. <laughs> so we spent 15 or 20 minutes trying to rescue it from the, the bear enclosure and this bloody swan came and killed it. So, yeah, what can you do? Yeah, because obviously it we couldn't find its parents, yeah. and normally the parents would be protecting it from other birds and <laughs> Maybe things. The, but, the so little duckling was the best, <laughs> best of intentions, and the duckling's probably going. But I spent all night trying to get into the bear enclosure to get away from that bloody exactly. swan. Exactly, that was what yeah. I was about to say. So yeah, sometimes, <laughs> no, 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 sometimes no, no, no. just leave them alone. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, what do you think, though, about um, doing animal experiments? Yeah, look, animal like experimentation baboons. in it. Look, there's that um, animal rights thing about, yeah, as humans, we shouldn't be experimenting on animals, we shouldn't eat animals, and so on. And I'm not going to get into the vegetarianism, veganism versus um, eating meat, but there's a choice for us. Would you rather be undertaking medical treatment or drug treatment that has never been tested on an animal before it got to humans? Yeah. Um, and I think most people would say no. And then there is the choice. If you choose to say we want to ban all uh, medical experimentation on animals, then we're going to put drug treatments and different medical treatments back decades uh, in terms of releasing new treatments for uh, for disease. So it's a it's we don't want to treat animals badly and there are always the horror stories of you know, animals trapped in tiny cages and got all sorts of horrible things attached to them and so on. And some of those are true, um, but I think they are the uh, the extremes and they're also the minority. Um, the I'm led to believe that the baboons in this case um, are there for um, medical research um, and the research that is going on is things like diabetes and so on, which yeah. is a um, significant disease affecting millions of people around the world. And um, But they're kept in a colony and so they're not just sitting in isolated cages and so on. There's a colony that's kept um, so the animals can live. They're so, very social animals. They can live like that and so on. Yes, they are going to undergo medical treatments, um, but those treatments, that, uh, that's the point where by the time we get to be doing it on monkeys like baboons, that's the last step before human testing. Yeah. And realistically, I would rather they were testing those things on baboons. They're not killing them. Uh, they're, tr they're testing these drugs after they have been tested and tested and tested and I think people, as the next step before human trials. People don't realise the lengths to which scientists have to go in order to justify being able to do those tests. Oh, the, the, so the, yeah, ethics the animal ethics committees are they're it's a nightmare. incredibly tight it's on a nightmare. what you can do. I remember talking about, like, as I did a class of, of animal ethics at um, university and then obviously going for grants and doing mm. experiments and all sorts of other stuff, not necessarily like that on animals medically, but there were a lot of people who were having to do them on rats and mice and cane toads and other animals there that had to go through the ethics thing. And it's a pain in the ass at times because I think on the board, usually you, you have the people who are experts, but you also have laymen, yeah, everyday yeah, they, lawyers. They deliberately or, have lay yeah. people in there. You're not, you're not just trying to convince your colleagues who are yeah. working in the same area to it's, do it. And some, so. of the, some of the things, though, like I remember, I'm trying to think of how much I can talk about, but I remember doing stuff with catching species in the wild especially of rats and they would make you jump through hoops like having to take a uh, a drug all the way to indonesia to be able to inject into the animals to kill them within 10 seconds or something and it's like when you could just break its neck and it's dead instantly yeah and you know it would be one of those things where we're stabbing it with a needle into the heart injecting a drug and that's killing it and that's the ethical thing that a vet would do in Australia under good conditions but we're mm. in the jungle we're smuggling this drug we're not smuggling but taking this drug from Australia into Indonesia which may not be allowed yeah. so they might ban it and mm. then when you get there you have to do something else or you can't and so there are all these things that you have to go through and, and do and you forget that I remember my supervisor saying 
If these rats survive long enough to die of natural causes in the wild, they're getting eaten by a snake or ripped to pieces <laughs> by a yeah. bird of prey or something. Exactly. That's not It's not a nice way to go, or eaten from the inside out by parasites. Mm. Like, having its neck broken or even being injected with a, a yeah. quick drug to die is a pretty pretty good way to die, um, you know, maybe Assuming a few months. it's going to happen, and it is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's always a, a touchy subject, uh, but, you know, I sit on the side of let's do this as humanely as we possibly can. Exactly. And we have um, intelligent non-experts making decisions about whether scientists can do these things or not. We don't just have scientists allowing other scientists to do what they like. And that's the situation that we have in all medical practices, in in hospitals, in research institutions, in universities. There are always these committees that are made up of experts in ethics, in law, uh, and there are lay people, um, you know, because you don't want to just be convincing a lawyer that it's legal. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So... I guess switching gears and moving on to something sadder, mm. we had um, an incredibly sad event in the Australian news probably a week and a half ago of Hannah Baxter and her three kids being yeah. burned to death oh, in a car by her husband yeah. or estranged husband or um, what would you call it? Like, I guess they were on the path of separation the path towards and, X. Yeah. and divorce. I think yeah. she had a restraining order against him and somehow mm. he's ended up in the car with her with petrol, poured it on everyone, stabbed himself and then lit everyone on fire. Yeah. I think- the kids died straight away, effectively. He jumped out of the car and died on the footpath and she survived. And died, uh, died yeah, died hospital. a day later or so. Yeah. What do you think it is? Because in the wake of this, I mean, every time these events happen, they are atrocious. They are. But if you were to look at it objectively, four people have died and we probably lose hundreds of people a day to disease or something mm. in the hospital. Mm. Why do we have this sort of a reaction to um, something like domestic violence where we don't have the same reaction to, say, heart disease or lung cancer from smoking or something yeah, like that. I think, I think we, have a, we have a general reaction to, to death, that death by what we could call natural causes, as in you know, disease, whether you die of cancer or heart disease or you know, some other old age sort of thing. Um, nobody likes the idea of death, but we sort of accept that that's part of living, is that, you know, we're not immortal, we are going to die. But when we have human intervention in it, which is so horrific, um, yeah, people killing their wife and their children, yeah. um, and in a horrific way as well, it's not just, yeah. you know, it's not just killing them. This is killing them in a way that you can't. And we were talking about this when it happened, that mm-hmm. it's impossible to fathom how somebody can do that. So we cannot have a normal reaction to it. We can't try and analyse it logically and intellectually because we have this such an emotional reaction to the actual event. And and so, yeah, look, domestic violence of any sort is horrific. To, and- to pause there, is it a scourge in Australia? Because, that, I mean, every time these events happen, which, you know, it's once or t- twice a year, you hear about these horrific stories, mm. um, the media goes into its cycle again of talking about how horrible domestic violence is in Australia. And obviously, it's a bad thing anywhere you are. Yes. But- yeah. I don't know that it's any worse in Australia than many other places, but any person getting uh, abused, whether it be physical, sexual, emotional, uh, neglect um, in a domestic situation is horrible. But when you have you know, thousands of people that that's happening to, yeah. um, and look, particularly women and children, um, and, because, and that's not to say that men are not being d- abused domestically, 
But when it's a physical interaction, most men are bigger and stronger than most women. And most men are also more aggressive, um, testosterone being what it is. And so most of those interactions that are happening, the the negative ones, in particularly the ones that people are being physically damaged, are going to be a man damaging a woman. And so we're rightly concerned about that. And there's a lot of publicity um, in all sorts of organisations about how do we prevent this? How do we stop it happening? And it's far more complex than we can talk about here. The the hardest part, I think, excuse me, about dealing with domestic violence from my sort of limited understanding is that it isn't ideologically based. It's not you know, a group of guys getting together or, you know, a religious organization where you can say, this is the problem. They get together, spread these ideas like, you know, Islamic terrorism or like Nazism or whatever it is. And yeah, it's not the a real movement. thing we have to fight <laughs> is this yeah. ideology yeah. because you can't, it's, it's happening on a lone wolf, mm. you know, sort of situation every single time, right? It's not these guys bashing their wives and then getting together and high-fiving each other on the weekend. No, exactly. And, and so, it's... how do you ever fight that, right? And the problem I have with this sort of... G'day, mate. That was the first half of this episode of The Goss. If you would like to continue watching or continue listening to this episode, make sure that you sign up for the premium podcast or academy memberships at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get full access to these entire episodes of this series and much, much more. You can go check that out using the links below or just go to aussieenglish.com.au. Once again, thank you so much for joining me, mate, and I will see you next time. Peace. Peace.